When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You're listening to a Score North podcast right now, and if you're a business owner, so are your customers. In fact, I could be talking about your business right now, telling the tens of thousands of loyal fans about you and sending them to your business. Find out how you can partner with your favorite Score North podcast. Visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. Fill out the form, and we'll get in touch with you quickly. Once Phil, Judd, Declan, or others start talking about your company, you'll be amazed at how many fans start showing up. So visit scorenorth.com now and enter keyword partner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. All right, welcome into Purple Daily. Matthew Collar here from inside the Indiana Convention Center, where we are covering the NFL Combine. And uh, sitting with me to start the show, and we'll have lots coming up, including Sage Rosenfels, of course, and Courtney, our draft scout, is going to soon make an appearance. Is is the R-A-R-E or R as an abbreviation? It is her actual middle name is R. Okay. So that's why that happens. Okay. It's Courtney Our draft R- scout. Well, yeah, you could also say that, too, because yeah. she is uh, our draft scout, but yeah. also R is her name. Great way to start out the show. Uh, Eric Eager is with me here, and uh, we're going to talk a little bit about the Vikings draft philosophy and what they should be thinking throughout this week at the Combine, and then we'll get into what Mike Zimmer had to say later in the show, and we will do our first draft sim of the year, which I know everyone has been really waiting for. I've gotten tweets from people for months, like, when are you guys going to do a draft sim? Like, okay, wait till the Combine. So today is the day, and we'll be doing that in about a half an hour, but with Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus. I, I want to start off with an article that I wrote and something that uh, Rick Spielman talked about filling spots with draft picks for this year and how difficult that is. And what I found, both from using an article on Pro Football Focus and my own research, is that certain positions can translate much quicker or the learning curve is different for each position. So the Vikings have a lot of different openings. Cornerback, three technique, defensive tackle. They might have to fill a nose tackle position. They might have to fill an edge rusher spot. And there are some needs on the offense as well guard, potentially tackle if they move on from Riley Reef. Where should the Vikings be looking when they're thinking about filling a spot with the draft this year if that's the approach they're going to have to take? Yeah, I mean, it's really hard because I think the, the proverb is always, you know, whether it was, you know, college players transitioning from high school or, or NFL players transitioning from college, the closer you are to the football, the tougher the transition is, right? Because the physicality, I mean, a lot of these players are fast, a lot of these players are athletic, but the physicality in the interior of the, of the football field is tough to, you know, tough to emerge from and so when you look at the Vikings they're probably going to have a need on the defensive line last season you know Limbell Joseph fell off a little bit Shamar Stefan wasn't the answer at three tech Everson Griffin's gone they got a need there if they address it early 
Like, there's not a whole lot of, like, top-tier talent there. Uh, AJ Espinosa from Iowa might fall to them, but he, but even then it's sort of like a really – it's going to be really tough for them. There's a decent amount of offensive line, you know, quality in the draft, but they went there last year, and we saw Garrett Bradbury, how difficult it was for a small center to transition to the NFL. So if, if they are to consider addressing needs in the draft early uh, this for this season, I think it has to be at the cornerback and wide receiver. And, and Rick Spielman mentioned that – Brian O'Neill was able to step in pretty quickly, but did not talk about Garrett Bradbury, yeah, who struggled or Ab- mightily. Or Pat Elfline. Right, exactly. Yeah. And the uh, study that you guys did at Pro Football Focus found that offensive linemen start to get to their peak by their third or fourth yeah, yeah. year. So if you're drafting a tackle, you can't expect that player to be as good as Riley Reef was, even if you think that you need to improve on Riley Reef. A, a guy who is in his seventh, eighth, or ninth year in the NFL is who he is, but if he's average, that's probably. Probably a lot better than what you're going to get from a rookie, even if that rookie has the potential to be excellent down the road. And you look at last year's rookies, Juwan Taylor struggled. Caleb McGarry was a disaster. He allowed 13 sacks in in one year. And and even Andre Dillard only had a handful of pass snaps and still gave up a ton of pressures because you're facing guys that are just on a completely different level from anything you've ever seen in college. Whoever the best edge rusher you've seen in college is half as good as Nick Bosa or especially guys who have been in the league like Vaughn Miller or Khalil Mack for a long time and know all the tricks they are so far ahead of you that it takes a long time to catch up that seems to be a position that if the Vikings draft in the first round they should be looking at 2021 for that player to play a significant role for them right it's it's so much you look at the Eagles approach with Dillard and he did struggle especially against Minnesota when he got on the field but he was drafted to play later you know they had Jason Peters in, in the fold and I do think that that's a good process you look on the other hand you look you know, when when you say offensive lineman, you think that that's the biggest athletic mismatch. A player like Danell Hunter against a left tackle, that's the biggest athletic mismatch you're going to see on a football field. And you compound that with all the things you said when the defensive ends know the tricks, right? That's how guys like Dwight Freeney and and Chris Dolman, the late Chris Dolman, stay around for so long is because they know the tricks and they have that athletic mismatch over a tackle. Um, that's compounded when the guy is a rookie. So even though I do think like there's you know there's some good prospects in the draft, the Vikings a are probably not picking high enough to get one of the elite guys and B, uh, you know, they're probably the expectations are probably going to be far too high for that player, given that if they're doing that to win now, uh, the expectations will be high. So cornerback is another one, and I asked Rick specifically about corner and what it takes to go from being a rookie to being a top player at that position, and his answer was the rules are just a lot different from college to the NFL, so it takes some serious adjustment. And another interesting element of this is that the Vikings have had Jerry Gray for a long time helping to develop young corners, and now Jerry Gray works for the Packers, and I'm not saying that the new cornerbacks coach won't be able to handle this, but Jerry Gray was kind of an OG and, yeah, and very proven, good player himself. Right? Yeah, that's right. And, and and proven to work along with Mike Zimmer to develop these guys to get them ready. And still, we saw Xavier Rhodes take a couple years, probably a year and a half before he started to become very good. Trey Waynes took two years before he started um, to be even an average corner, which he kind of became. And Mike Hughes, the book isn't even written on him yeah. yet, and we're two years removed from drafting him in the first round. Are, are those a little different, do you think, or is it a hard transition from corner to the NFL if you're asked to take on top receivers right away? Yeah, I mean, I think from a team-building perspective, from an individual player perspective, it's really hard to transition because, like you said, you can chuck 
players down the field in college, no matter how, until the ball is thrown and not get a call for a penalty in the NFL, those are illegal contacts. And people always wondered, why does Xavier Rhodes not grade well in your system? Well, there's a handful of first downs all the time that are just these five yard penalties by virtue of him simply just like, you know, being physical, too physical down the field. But from a team building perspective, cornerback is the position I think to go for because, you know, it's a numbers game. You, you know, you're only as good in the secondary as your weakest one or two players. And so, you know, we, I was talking to somebody who has been a part of the Giants for, you know, the last 30 years and we were laughing about one year it was Corey Webster that became good. The next year is Aaron Ross. One year is R.W. McQuarters. It's not necessarily, you don't need to pinpoint the player and say this guy is going to be the elite corner, right? Trey Waynes was picked 11th. Xavier Rhodes was picked 27th or something. And they, of course, flipped and how good they were. But you, you throw numbers at the position and hopefully five players in the secondary emerge to be good. And, and so while each individual corner might not pan out, they might not perform in the order in which they're drafted, it's important to draft them because you need five of those guys to play really well in order to be good in the NFL. So we're talking about the positions that are hard to transition quickly and that the Vikings could not likely count on, but the corner is tough because if you look at the free agent market, you have about two or three corners who would be difference makers and then a lot of guys who could just fill spots. And maybe you hope that with good edge rushing and good pressure on the quarterback and good safety play and linebacker play that you can cover up a little bit for that but as you said covering up for anything in coverage is not super easy to do so they end up in a bit of a conundrum there where you're either overpaying in free agency for someone who might not be that great or you're drafting a guy and throwing him into the mix when he might not be ready and this is why it's hard to see this vikings defense being as good next year as they've been over the last few years now what position though would you say yeah you can actually count on that guy like not no one's a guarantee yeah. but more likely to count on what position to step in in 2020 and make a difference well this is unsatisfying because it's not going to mean anything to the vikings but obviously running back is a position you can step in and play really well in sure um, wide receiver is one that used to be a, a far bigger bus position but i'll take a, a a story from vikings history as sort of a, an anecdote to why it's no longer as big of an issue In 1998, the Vikings drafted Randy Moss when they had two, four straight 1,000-yard receivers in Jake Reed and and Chris Carter. Moss was asked to play a specific role, and much like running the football, if if you bring a receiver in to play a specific role, he can do a pretty good job because it's not as complicated and it's all about physicality. And that's the way the NFL is sort of turning. If you look at some of the great offenses, they have the they have the the deep threat receiver, right? They have the underneath crossing receiver. They have you know, and and unlike you know, 20 years ago when you had your two starting wide receiver at X and Z, and they played every down and they needed to be kind of everything for you. Now you sort of rotate in four or five receivers, and each guy can sort of play a role. And if you draft a guy and find his role and play him in that spot he can be effective and the risk is mitigated because again if you throw numbers at the position which the vikings didn't a season ago then you can sort of mix and match and find the best three and that's kind of and that's kind of how you do it you know bc johnson's not a terrible player to have on the roster if he's the fifth receiver you know if you count on him to be the three that's where the that's where you're not spreading out your risk right and and that's what the nfl draft is about is spreading out risk right no that's a great point about receivers and you would like to see in a receiver draft that's supposed to be extremely deep the vikings add someone somewhere so even if it's a third round pick if you pick someone who has a specific skill set that can fit into a role like we've talked about it ad nauseum but the cordero patterson thing was just a failure cordero patterson they wanted him to be an all-around receiver because they used the first round pick on him and traded a bunch of draft picks up to get him but just because you have the sunk cost issue doesn't mean you should treat it differently than what the guy is in terms of a skill set which is a very special player with the football but not 
very special when it comes to route running or the specifics and details like Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen are that I think that's exactly what the Vikings could use is yeah. somebody who if you just get them the football which you can absolutely do as a rookie if you're running reverses you're running screens you're running short passes and things like that just getting them the ball they didn't have that extra explosiveness outside of really Delvin Cook for the short yeah. passes and then big plays and if you're trying to run end arounds with Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen just please stop like those never work yeah, and and that's the thing when you have and, and Stephon Diggs and Adam Thielen are once you know unique players in that they do almost everything well, right? A very similar to again Reed and Carter back in the day, and of course Moss when he played uh, for the Vikings. But not every receiver is going to be like that. And the issue is, is again instead of I think of the safety position at, like this as well. Instead of forcing a guy to do what you want him to do, find a role for him. And you know, like the secondary, like wide receiver, there are enough of them play where you can mix and match and find the best role for them. I think about like the Oakland A's, right? When they were, you know, they were doing the second money ball, and they're like, "Well, we can't actually get a good hitter, so we're going to sign Brandon Moss to hit righties for a third of the cost. We're going to sign, you know, uh, uh, who's the guy that played third base for the Twins, uh, Danny Valencia to, to hit lefties, and they're both bad, sort of as full players, but you mash them together, and it makes one good player. Yeah. Wide receivers, sort of the same thing. If you have, you know, you have a guy that can't go deep, like you know, Cordell could not run routes, but he can run the jet sweeps pretty damn well, and he can play running back, and you can, you can sort of like. Like limit the floor with him, and you can sort of do that if it's a position where there's multiple players that play at once. When it's a position like quarterback, the guy's got to be everything, right? But other positions, uh, you know, you can mitigate risk that way. And I think a wide receiver and cornerback and safety, you have an opportunity to do that in Minnesota. Now, in terms of learning curve, the position that had the easiest learning curve, none is easy completely, but um, per your guys' study, was safety. Yep. And if you're the Vikings, there are two safeties. Um, in this draft that are looked at as being a little bit better than everybody else, late first-round potential picks, right right where the Vikings are at yeah. 25. And you have a very tough decision with Anthony Harris. I don't think he's a player that's easily replaced. Nope. A ball hawk, led the NFL in interceptions. I don't think that that was a fluke looking at the actual plays that were made. But if you have to fill a spot because you're really in trouble because of your cap space, safety is the one on the defensive side, I think, that you would want to go with at 25. And the Vikings are less like this because they have, and maybe this changes with Capers in the fold and some of the coaches having come and gone, um, but they're basically a strict 4-2-5 team. You know, they don't do a whole lot of playing, you know, safeties and dime and all that kind of stuff. But traditionally speaking, the reason why safety is such an easy learning curve is you can play them in multiple positions. You look at the Kansas City Chiefs, they signed Tyron Matthew to be their deep, their Earl Thomas. But then all of a sudden, Juan Thornhill is available in the second round, and they pick him, and he's better suited for that role. So then they move Matthew into the slot, you know. And then Kendall Fuller gets hurt, and he plays him. In the, they play him deep, and it's like again that that ability to sort of find that right puzzle means that you're never sort of putting fish out of water. And as good as Anthony Harris is, like he, you know. You're not going to find somebody to replace him, replace him, but you could find somebody to do some, you know, 75% of what he does well, and then you ask your Harrison Smith to do a few different things, and then you sort of fold that back in. So again, it's sort of, um, you know, that that's kind of like how safety you can sort of mitigate risk at that position. Can we talk about where they are just as a big picture? Because the way that they have been talking sounds a lot like, and the moves to have Gary Kubiak as your offensive coordinator and Dom Capers helping with the defense, mm-hmm. none of that screams we're playing for 2022. It screams we're looking to win in 2020. And I wonder just what you think 
the prospects are for them. It, it, let's yeah. say they draft well and do fill a spot. Let's say that they do find some money and they have to let go some players, but they make some savvy free agent signings. I think this is a very smart overall front office that knows what it's doing. They don't go major bust on a lot of their moves. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Vikings fans get used to the moves usually working out, and then something like a George Iloka doesn't, and they're like, oh, well, they really screwed that one up, right? But for the most part, they make the right decisions. They keep the right players. They let go of the right players. They cut people often at the right time. Yep. Um, they pay for it, though, too. I mean, they almost never take risks. You know? yeah, yep. and, so, and so, yeah, they, they pay for certainty, and unfortunately, I think that that's come up you know, as, a, as an issue now, right? Right? We yes. always talk about yep. the cap. People talk about the cap being fake. It's not fake. The contracts are fake, right? And the commitments you make to players and the assumptions you have uh, about the future are fake. But you're right. The Vikings don't fail much. When you think about Kirk Cousins, right? Kirk has been a pretty good quarterback in Minnesota. But you paid for that certainty. Yep. And you paid for the certainty in both ways. You didn't take a risk at the quarterback position, so you're not reaping the rewards that the teams like the Chiefs and the Ravens and the Houston Texans are having, right? And that's, again, that's part of the, that's part of the deal. But I agree. I, as far as an overall outlook for 2020, you know, in my opinion, I think that they're far less equipped to, to, to compete now than maybe they think and maybe their fan base thinks. And it's unfortunate, right? I mean, their win against New Orleans in the playoffs was one of the better games in Vikings history, let's be honest. And, and unfortunately, I think what they're going to do is probably overreact to that one game. Yeah. Yeah, and think that, oh, all we need to do is just get to that next level. But, you know, if the playoff format doesn't change immediately, we're still talking about it's going to be the same thing. If you don't have a one or two seed, then you're going to have a lot of trouble getting to the Super Bowl. And if you think that this defense with a lot of new punched holes in it is going to guide you through four games or through three games, that's a pretty tough ask, and with Kirk Cousins, you could get one really good playoff game yep. out of him, but the very next playoff game, you couldn't make up for much. And I just, I also think that when you're talking about what needs to happen in the perfect world to get Kirk Cousins to the Super Bowl, you need all the weapons healthy for one. Adam Thielen was not healthy in that game against San Francisco. He got hurt in practice. But you also would need a much better offensive line, and I have a real problem seeing this offensive line being hugely better. Like, they have some nice pieces to work with, but if you're talking about getting so much better where you're top five, top ten, I, I kind of hesitate at saying, oh, yeah, you'll be able to just draft a guy or just sign a guy who's going to be able to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's tricky even for the defending NFC champions. 49ers, right? I mean, you're a year like for them, it's you're a year into Joe Staley's career. Mike McGlinchey may or may not work out. Your interior offensive line is iffy, right? Even the team that bested the Vikings, that really what the Vikings are trying to do, has all of these question marks, right? Can you can you string together three good playoff games from a a mid-tier quarterback again? And I think your point is valid. I mean, Kirk is a player who I think if you put the situation in place, he can be great. And unfortunately, if you're a Vikings fan, the the, the glass half empty look is you put the situation in place for him this year. Stefanski yep. was really good. The offensive line, was, the the risk was mitigated there for them, and the receivers. You know, Stephon Diggs had a really good year. He altered the way he played the game. Right, he, he six yards averaged up the target more from one year to the next. He literally showed that he could do anything, and and that got you ten and six swept by the Packers, one playoff win in overtime, and then of course you know you really had no shot against the San Francisco Four. So uh, I think, you know, you kind of have to reorient. You have to say, okay, like there, there's so many things that have to go right. And a lot of them did for the Vikings. And unfortunately, without a quarterback, they all have to go right. And the chances of shooting the moon every single year are low. I, you know, I think that 
when it comes to the NFC, it's very open. So I would not say trade away all the pieces that you have or something like yeah. that. You're just way too good to yeah. start talking about drafting in 2021 and, and trying to get to the top and Trevor Lawrence or any of that conversation. You're way too good. Your coach is too good. Your quarterback yeah. is too good because yeah. the floor on Kirk Cousins is seven wins yeah. and the ceiling is 10. And so you should shoot for the 10 in 2020. But I think when you go into the draft, if you're trying to fill those spots immediately yeah. and you think, oh, we're going to go for the Super Bowl because we're going to get this guy and he's yeah. going to help us. I, I don't like that approach and I don't like it in free agency either. And you'd like to see them... You know, fill an offensive line spot with someone who can actually play in pass protection, unlike Pat Elfline, who was the worst in pass protection the entire NFL this year. Yeah. So you can improve on that with a cheaper free agent, with a Josh Klein type, without going crazy. But if you lock yourself into more bad contracts that kind of got you into this yeah. spot, as opposed to thinking a couple years down the road, then uh, you know I, I think you get yourself in trouble. But my question would be, does the ownership get on board with, hey, you know, it might be an 8-8 eight eight season. It might be a 9-7 yeah. season. And that's where I I yeah. think that people don't always factor this in when we're saying, why did this GM do this? Or why is this coach doing this? Well, they all have to work for somebody. Mm-hmm. And I think if the ownership says, okay, our expectation should be a little different for this year and 2021, they should be really high, that that's the right approach. But I think they still have 2017 in their head. Like, this should be an NFC championship team because – Mike Zimmer is here, and we still have a good defense. Yeah, and and you know we were a couple bad injuries against you know the Eagles away from ha- be competing in that game, or maybe if we would have hooked you know Case Keenum and put Bradford in, and things have been right. You, you could sort of walk yourself into all of these, or you know it, if the San Francisco 49er game a, a player or two here goes a different way, maybe it's different. Yeah, you can always talk yourself into it. And I agree. Like you look at some of the some of the you know head scratching moves that have been made in the NFL. A lot of them is like, well, the owner told the, the GM to do this, or yeah. you know it is stuff that's sort of unexplainable until you get to the very kernel of of, of the issue I, I they have to split the difference though this year that you, you know Kirk is on the last year of his deal right and and so you there's already sort of this like lame duckness to it I, I don't think buying into Kirk Cousins is going to say hey we're a Super Bowl contender either to most of the team I think the team is pretty uh, in tune to that and, and so I think you approach the draft and free agency as if you are trying to build a roster for for the long term and you you know and, and you basically start to prioritize the players that you want uh, and, and still obviously don't tank in 20 in 2020 but you know certainly don't don't like mortgage the future because you don't even know who your quarterback of the future is frankly at this point right and and you'd like to see ownership make another strong statement and put it out there that they're signing if they're going to stick with the Zimmer and Spielman direction that they're signing them to longer contracts yeah. so they feel secure in their jobs and don't make mistakes yeah. because when you don't feel secure in your job then I'm sorry it's going to affect everyone yeah. in the in the approach that they take um, before I let you go Eric I want to know from the PFF perspective uh, what things in terms of your workouts actually matter because they're doing a lot in terms of you know all these different drills and everything else, and we all see the performances and so forth. But I am sure of it that a, a lot doesn't matter. Yeah. So what are, should we be looking for that actually correlates to success? 
I, I mean, the, the position that it always seems to correlate with me is like edge, rushing the passer. So Danell Hunter is somebody who, you know, almost all of his athletic scores like override, overrode how poor he was at, at LSU, right? And so, you know, from our perspective before we were sort of looking at a lot of this, he was he was weaker on our draft board than he probably should have been had we folded in the combine statistics properly. So I, I obviously think like that, you know, if you just think of those as wholesale, take the best athlete with the best grades. If, if, that, if those two things coincide, that'll probably be a good player in pass rushing as far as other positions there's probably just cutoffs if you're a cornerback and you run a four seven you're probably you're you're just going to significantly limit the 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 scheme that you can play and you can't play man coverage against Tyreek Hill if you run a four seven right so you're always going to have to be hidden um so it's sort of I would say don't let the combine override what you saw on tape unless it's significantly different than what you expected right but if you don't hit those thresholds, you're probably not going to make it. And yeah. In terms of slower corners, people will bring up Richard Sherman, who is the best zone coverage exactly. corner yeah. of all time. But and one of the smartest players in the right. in, in NFL. Exactly. I mean, exactly. So yeah. for for it's just like with height, with even with quarterbacks. I'm sure it's a real thing to yeah. some extent. But Russell Wilson is driven and has an elite arm, yeah. an elite accuracy, and a baller mentality. And, and like, Kyler Murray looks to have the same sort of right. acumen mentally. Yeah. All these things had to go right. So it probably was correct to say that if you were five foot ten, you're gonna have a pretty tough time. And even someone like Doug Flutie had brief success, but when he got in, it was only brief, and he was more of a journeyman type of and, quarterback. And Drew Brees has his limitations in the NFL, as right. you saw watching the Vikings playoff game against him. You know, it, and, and it, he has the best accuracy maybe ever. Right. I mean, so, yep. so that's what you have to do in order to overcome those things. You would never bank on those. So I saw and couldn't help but laugh at it. But you know, Jordan Love has Patrick Mahomes like, and he's like, no, just stop right there. Yeah. Because. Yeah. Yeah. Because there's so much had to go right for him to be who he was. It, it reminded me very much of growing up and hearing that, oh, this this guy's going to be the next Jordan, the next Jordan. And still, no one has ever been yeah, the next Jordan. Uh, and even and LeBron is a different player. So, like, it, it just doesn't happen with these outliers. So you have to look at that and say, okay, don't talk yourself into it because more likely than not you're going to be wrong. Yeah, I mean, there are things we can learn from uh, the, the Mahomes uh, pick and the, and the Jordans, of course, and then the Randy Mosses of the world. But they're, they're, it's very unlikely right that the, this person's going to be the next them you know right. and, and so you know i look look at those intermediate players right and, and we were talking about this on our podcast the other day you know sort of looking at the intermediate quarterbacks right there are five quarterbacks that are horrible no matter what right or you know you take you know take a quarterback like brady quinn who's like you just couldn't play but he had a ton of measurables and was pretty decent in college like this throw that out right because that's just somebody who just for whatever reason couldn't play Take Mahomes out of it. Take Wilson out of it. Take Brady out of it. That middle quarterback, the Kirk Cousins, is really what you want to look at. Like, okay, this guy was pretty good in college. He's pretty good in the NFL. He's really he's really subject to the scheme, right? When Steve Filippo was here, he wasn't very good. When when Stefanski was, he was. And, and that's basically every player. So you know, adjust context, uh, sort of work in that like un, uh, you know that that middle space, and you'll probably be fine. Don't don't go chasing after Mahomes. You're not getting Mahomes. Don't go chasing at... Okay, I'll I'll just stop right there. That's a great way to lose the audience. Uh, Eric Eager, Pro Football Focus. Really appreciate all the times you've come on our show. Great to connect in person here in Indianapolis. And uh, Pro Football Focus has so much great draft stuff coming out. The draft guide is incredible. You guys have a great draft podcast, too, that is the two-for-one draft podcast Mm -hmm. with Mike Renner and Austin Gale. Those guys come on the show sometimes. I listen to that the entire way here for draft cramming. 
so I could do really good draft sims, and that's what's coming up next with Courtney Cronin. So, Eric, appreciate your work. Follow him on Twitter, PFF underscore Eric. We'll be right back with Courtney Cronin here live from the Combine on Purple Daily. Hey, Scornoth listeners, it's Phil Mackey here for Federated Mutual Insurance Company, which is here to give business owners that peace of mind that you need when you've built a company with your blood, your sweat, your tears, maybe not your blood, but whatever, like you built a company and you want your insurance team to be ready with a game plan that helps you recover if needed, recover smoothly so you can get on with running your business. Federated has a century of experience in helping business owners. You can find out more about the industries Federated protects at their website, federatedinsurance.com. And remember, Federated Insurance, it's their business to protect yours. Jonathan here with the Score North download. The Minnesota Golf Passport is back and available right now over at scorenorth.com. Play 12, 18 hole rounds at 12 beautiful courses for just one low price of $75. That's a $435 value for just $75. Supply is limited, so visit scorenorth.com keyword deals to purchase and learn more. Mike Zimmer taking the podium today at the NFL Combine and was asked, how Kirk Cousins, or what the difference was for Kirk Cousins between year one and year two, here's what he said. You know, I think part of it was the the scheme. I think part of the scheme was really tailored to him. I think, again, the coaches did a great job of not... There, there's a fine line for the for the quarterback to put all kinds of things on his plate or get him to play fast. And, and, and I thought our coaches did a great job of getting him to play fast. Uh, so he was able to get out from under center, get the ball out, um, get it to, to the uh, right read early. Um, I thought they did a great job of, of coaching him up to get to, that, to those reads quickly and go from there. And then, um, you know, obviously the running game helped because that helped with the play-action pass. That's been your score North Download. Now back to Purple Daily. Who has the quickest twitch? Whose hips are the most oily? Who has the quickest long snap? Hand sizes, wingspans. Oh, no one knows hand sizes and wingspans better than Courtney R. Draft Scout. All right, welcome back to the Indiana Convention Center, the NFL Combine, Matthew Collar. And now, yes, indeed, it is that time. People have been waiting. Courtney, our draft scout, is here for the first draft sim of the year. Courtney, how jacked up are you right now? I've been waiting for this day since the day before the draft in 2019, the last draft sim that we did on air, which was a monumental moment because I think that I had both picks back-to-back. Garrett Bradbury, because I was coming off of the mock draft that we do in Bristol, and then Irv Smith. So I'd like to say that I projected that, because obviously I did in that final draft Yes, you did. Um, So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you, Rick. So Um, whoever you take in this draft sim is who Probably who they're going to take. And I just am going to tell you that I, uh, you know, this is is the most monumental day of the year because it sets in motion draft sim season. Yes. And as you know... I live for this. I'm Courtney R. Draft Scout. Yes, you I'm, do. Right. I'm working on. To, I'm trying. I'm here to find out who has the fastest long snap. You heard my intro. Like, this is important. And also, like, your friends and family know. Do not text you. Do not email you. No. Do not call. I don't eat, sleep, or do no. anything for the next six weeks. You you eat, but you write down scouting reports on your food. So you can yeah. remember them as you It's kind of like a lawyer with billable hours. Like, if I take a bite of a Snickers, I have to write, like, oh, I clocked out to take a bite of the Snickers. Right. Now I'm back in. Right. 
So you are in, and we are going to draft sim right now. And we'll get to, later in the show, Mike Zimmer's comments here from the Combine, which you and I were both at. But this is far more important, our first draft sim of the year. So I'll just tell you about how mine played out from the very top, which is Joe Burrow, number one. I think it's very clear he's going to the Cincinnati Bengals, or at least everyone has him number one in all of their mock drafts and everything else. So the draft sim, no different. Here's the slightly interesting thing at the top of my draft draft sim, which is that um, Isaiah Simmons went number four to the New York Giants, and Justin Herbert went to the Dolphins with Tua going to the Los Angeles Chargers. With Tua's medicals now coming out that everything looks pretty good for him, I just have a really tough time seeing Justin Herbert being drafted before him, don't you? That's exactly how mine played out. Joe Burrow at the top, Chase Young. Isaiah Simmons went to Detroit, so Detroit's not looking at a quarterback because there's several other ones that, um, you know, there's several other big boards here that you can pick from what we use fanspeak.com for these draft sims like i was expecting to see Tua potentially even at number three so here's the toughest decision i faced when i got to 25 uh makai becton a massive offensive tackle was there and also grant uh, delbit who's a safety sure. from lsu and i didn't take either one of those because delbit had a down year last year for lsu and becton is huge, but I'm not sure how he would fit with what Gary Kubiak wants to do, and we know that they really stick to their schemes. Josh Jones, the offensive tackle from Utah, also there. Austin Jackson uh, was a, an offensive lineman from USC. So lots of offensive line options, and Trayvon Diggs was also mm-hmm. available when I got to number 25. But I will let you go first. I'm just setting the scene on mine that there were plenty of good options here before I made my pick, but I did not select any of those guys. Tell me about your situation with your pick at 25. Well, I went defense, um, and there were a lot of cornerbacks available in this round, several that went ahead of where I was picking. Uh, Cam Dantzler went to Jacksonville because they've got two first-round picks. He went at 20. Right after that, C.J. Henderson went to the Philadelphia Eagles. Grant Delpit went one pick before me. So I decided, you know, basing this off of what we're learning this week and what we're going to continue to learn before we get to the draft is how this free agent process is going to play out for the Vikings. Yep. Um, I went with Xavier McKinney, the safety out of Alabama. I took the same guy. Because I think that there is the argument you make that you do not want to have two cap hits over $10 million for both Harrison Smith and Anthony Harris. Anthony is a very good safety. He's probably the best safety on the free agent market. I do not believe that in terms of prioritizing how your secondary is going to look, that you would want to pay him in the 10 to $14 million range that he could potentially command on another team. I just don't know if the Vikings have the financial resources to make him priority number one. Um, when you're potentially weighing, do you keep Trey Waynes? Do you keep Anthony Harris? How does this shake out? So I went a safety with the first-round pick. I could absolutely see it this year. Um, could you see a cornerback? Because of this team's history and how many cornerbacks they've taken in the first or second round since Mike Zimmer's been here, sure. But um, I don't know if I should foreshadow my second round pick. Do you well, want me to not, do not that? Yet. Okay, Let then me I'm going to pause on that note for now. Real quick about Xavier McKinney is the PFF Big Board has him 19th overall in this draft. And one of the comments uh, is 
the consistent and complete skill set makes him a safe bet in the league. And I think the Vikings need to have a safe bet in the league if they're going to fill spots right away, as Eric Eager and I talked about earlier on the show. So that's why I went with him. He graded extremely well, an 88.4 grade for uh, from Pro Football Focus for Alabama this year. Uh, someone like Grant Delpit was a little more up and down during his career, did not play as well this year in terms of his PFF grades. So that scared me off a little, even though you know they're clearly not everything. But they are just a reflection of what the tape says. So when you're looking at that, you're saying, well, all right, Xavier McKinney, a safe bet, someone who could step right in, fill that role, and someone who performed at a very high level. That's why I decided to take him. I think it's interesting that you and I did not talk about which way we were going, but decided to go that way. And I think uh, on mine, a lot of the corners were taken a little higher than yours. Yeah. But the only reason I, I didn't take a corner and took a safety was because... I'm feeling like they want to fill spots right away, and corner is hard to do that. I think by the time we get to the draft, they'll have signed a corner or two to fill out that position, to go along with Mike Hughes and Holton Hill and Chris Boyd. And I know that Mike Zimmer probably feels differently about his cornerback depth than what we've heard uh, from analysts and, and what's on every NFL network, ESPN, that the Vikings have no money, they're strapped for cash, like their cornerback unit's going to be depleted. Well, we'll see how they really feel about it because it feels like you're not going to let both of your starting corners from last year walk. Um, given what Rick Spielman said yesterday about Xavier Rhodes or what he really didn't say, um, I still don't think that changes your opinion that they're going to eventually move on from him. But I do think that it's not going to be a complete overhaul at that position so you could see them going with a cornerback um in round one but i do if you're weighing just like kind of what that means if they truly believe any player who plays next to harrison smith is going to look far better than you know his skill set might allude to then you go with a safety in round one yeah um but there were some offensive tackles that went very high that were not really available to me at 25 i mean the, the highest one was Jedrick Willis. He went to the Giants at four. And then Andrew Thomas went to the Cardinals at eight. Uh, Mekhi Becton, as you mentioned, Tristan Wirfs. Um, there's, there, there were several. And there were Josh Jones was taken after where I was drafting at 25. He went to Seattle at 27. So Austin Jackson, Noah, I'm not even going to try to pronounce his last name. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, there were, there were a bunch available. And I do think that if that... If the Vikings do want to go offense again, do you go tackle or guard at 25? Well, the tackle class is just far superior to the guards that you would even be looking at, and I don't think anybody would be taking one at 25. I think if you are taking a tackle, then you have to plan still to keep Riley Reef and let that yes. tackle develop. And so I, there would be a little bit of consternation about that pick maybe from Mike Zimmer who knows that there's a lot of spots on the defense to fill right away and tackle isn't necessarily a 2020 issue but that's not one that you could just kick down the road and say you're going to fill later it's I look at tackle as very much like quarterback where you better draft one and give yourself a couple years to develop that player into someone great because if you just try to throw him in there it's it's going to be a struggle so all right second round uh, I'll give you the setup for mine. There were a lot of guys that I were, was hoping would drop that did not. So the cornerback from TCU, Jeff Gladney, mm-hmm. who they haven't run the 40s yet, but could run the fastest 40 maybe of that position. Here, a couple of edge rushers and an interior offensive lineman, a tackle. They, they all sort of um, 
you know, went off the board right before I got to my pick. So I was looking at it more like, should I take a later tackle or should I take someone who's pretty highly ranked at the position? And I decided to do that. So what was your situation? My situation... I was thinking in terms of Mike Zimmer, what would he want in this draft? Me too. And uh, that's usually where my head goes. What would Mike Zimmer do? I have it on a bracelet. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> um, but uh, Luckily not for life, or you'd end up in a tree stand all the time. But I you mean, do grind tape. I do so. grind tape. Um, I'm the draft scout of the... I'm the resident draft scout on the show. Yeah. Um, I went with Jeff Gladney. Um, and he is a cornerback out of TCU. Um, I think you did. You mention him earlier. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, he was off the board. He was the yeah. guy I was looking the, for. He, he the speedster, the board, basically. Yeah. I mean, he plays the run really well, and I think that that's you can get kind of that Trey Wayne's prototype length. Um, you know, he's physical in, in that aspect of it, but um, I think he's got some work to do. I don't know if I would almost be like overcompensating and spending too high of a pick on this corner who might be available even a little bit later on. Um, and, and and that's just not to say that like I mean this is one big board uh, of how this whole thing shakes out. I mean somebody might have him going like in your draft you went a little higher. Yeah, that's why um, we're going to do a million cents. Yes, exactly. But I do think it's a need. Um, do we really know that Holton Hill and Chris Boyd are going to be able to like f- fill a void potentially by Xavier Rhodes and potentially by Trey Wayne's being gone? Who's playing nickel? I have no clue. Um, I mean, are they going to be able to resign Mackenzie Alexander? Do they want to? Does he want to? I mean. The weird thing about this draft compared to last year, we knew that they weren't going to be active in free agency last year. We knew that they didn't have that much money to spend and they didn't have the options to go out and handle a lot of their needs that they could handle in the draft, but do it in free agency. So now it's like we're waiting on that shoe to drop. They have, you know, over a dozen unrestricted free agents or, you know, pending free agents that are potentially going to hit the open market. The cornerback unit is where your eyes are first because you're just going to wonder what they're doing to their starting corners, what they're doing to their free agents and Trey Waynes, Mackenzie Alexander. Like, I just don't know where that's going to go. So for me, this is an insurance pick. Um, It's somebody that, you know, has, like I said, the speed, the size, the physicality that Mike Zimmer likes in those corners. And if you can, you know, given what you asked Rick Spielman yesterday about the development, like I don't think it's any secret that these guys take two to three years to they develop, yep. especially with Mike Zimmer, because that he asks his corners to play the game differently than most people do. So it, t- it took Xavier Rhodes three years. It took Trey Wayne's about three and a half, four years. Like Mike Hughes is still in that proje- in that trajectory to probably need another year to get seasoned in this defense. So... If you're going at that and you're expecting this is more of a long-term project, that's the right pick, I think, at uh, 58, where they're picking the second round. So what's fun about this year's draft with the Vikings is that you could sort of plug in a thought process and then draft that way. If you said, plug in the thought process that they're thinking about 2021, and then I'm taking Mm -hmm. Mekhi Becton. And thinking about, or Josh Jones, and thinking about offensive tackle two years from now. Sure. And then in the second, you'd be moving Brian O'Neill over to left tackle, and then you'd be taking the guy that's going to replace him eventually. Correct. Right. Right. Yeah, you could do it that way, or you could, if it's Mackay Becton, you could just sit him for a year and have him take over for Riley Reef. Okay. And and if you were thinking about that for even the second round, you might look at an edge rusher. But again, with edge rushers, they don't always step right in away Mm -hmm. and, and get. 10 sacks, usually their biggest jump goes from first year to second year, unless they're a complete freak show. So I might have been looking at um, Julian uh, Okwara from Notre Dame, somebody with a high ceiling off the edge. He was available. But I took the 
sort of direction of what Rick Spielman said yesterday about filling spots and, and went that way and said, okay, well, let's fill these spots for this year mm-hmm. and see. Just like last year with the first and second round pick, they looked to fill spots. They didn't know if Kyle Rudolph was going to be back at that point when they drafted Irv Smith. So they filled the tight end spot. They filled a, a center spot. And I would say one worked out really well. The other didn't. Um, but I would expect a jump from both of those players in year two. And it sort of just speaks to everyone tries to fill their needs in the draft, but you can have different philosophies that sort of change your mind. And and even if you took the, we're going to fill spots right away, but they're going to be all to help Kirk get more people to throw to, mm-hmm. that could change the way you do this as well. And, and you could draft a wide receiver in a really deep wide receiver Very draft deep. or and, something like that. Well, given what Rick Spielman's comments were on Tuesday, that this continuity thing is what they're harping on. Like, they think everything is fine. They just need to, like you said, fill spots. I don't know if I agree with that. I certainly do not think that status quo of this team is going to make them any better in 2020, despite having Gary's offense and another year for Kirk Cousins in that system. Um I think, I mean, you've got to put your priorities on defense because your defense is going to change a lot, and it's probably going to regress because you're going to have a very young unit. Mike Zimmer said it's a young man's game, so that all of that foreshadowing shows you they're going to be moving on from some guys, so you're going to probably want to address safety, cornerback, potentially even an edge rusher in the first three rounds, and that's not only filling needs for 2020, that's going beyond that too because you know that in this defense, players take time to develop, and yeah. there's usually not anybody who's at least early on in their rookie season, any of those three positions that I mentioned that has stood out to the point where they've been immediate, immediate impact players. Let me ask you this. Uh, yesterday we talked with Rick Spielman, and um, we're going to get into later what Mike Zimmer had to say today, but was there anything from yesterday that sat with you uh, in terms of like you went you went home? Because we talked right after yeah. it on the air. So you, you went back to your hotel or you had dinner and you were thinking about something that stuck out that may point to the direction of this team. Because I kind of walked away saying, you know, there was a lot of read between the lines there on oh, a lot sure. of different things. There, there wasn't. There wasn't direct big news that we could say, well, they're doing this for sure. But there was a lot of, like, I, I came away certain that they think that Cousins is going to be re-signed. Yeah. I know that you didn't. Um, and I also came away certain that they are going to draft for needs because they're just not getting that many players in free agency. I, I don't know how you came away from it after you thought about it yesterday. I'm more, I will align with you on that second point, that they are worried in a way because of the contract situation with Kirk. I mean, why else would you set up yourself to not take a fully guaranteed deal again or to at least ask for it and really push for it? So one thing I did want to note is I was looking at quarterbacks in round two and at with 127th overall, I think he was, he was ranked 127th, at least of best available at that time, was Jalen Hurts. And my thought was, I might be going a little bit too early because he looked like he would have been there in the third round if we would have done another draft, like round, uh, just a sim. It depends on how he does here. Yeah, I think the. Could he make himself a second round pick? I think he's definitely a day two pick no matter what. I think he could probably make a jump. I think I heard that somewhere that he was somebody that people expected to be moving at least into the late second round by the time this whole thing is over. But I didn't want to give up that type of draft capital for somebody who might at least at this time be available to me in the third round and also 
it's hard for me to go in and say I need to draft a quarterback when I don't know what the heck's going to happen with Kirk Cousins. Should, but should they just do it anyway? Yeah, I do think that it because here's the worst part of it, or the, the worst scenario that could happen. Let's say you draft Jalen Hurts in the second round or Jake Fromm, anybody like that. Like you do use high draft capital to do it. Well. If Kirk, if you end up getting an extension done with Kirk, if he does really well in 2020, um, and he's got let's say he's got a three year extension, three or four year extension, and it's fully guaranteed, 120 to 128 million somewhere in that range, um, and you want to keep him beyond that, obviously you don't have the no trade clause, you you structure it in a different way, you could use the second round pick that if you use it on quarterback, like go and trade him. Like, right. That's yeah. valuable. Even like, if you get a third back or a fourth back, it's still another asset. Absolutely. And you don't feel like you completely wasted it. I also think once you get past the second round, I mean, Alexander Madison was a nice player in the third round. Running backs are pretty predictable for what mm-hmm. you're going to get when you pick them. But aside from that, I mean, you, you landed Daniil Hunter with one third round pick. The rest of them is pretty much shrugs in terms of what third-round picks give you. So is it better to take someone who you like in the third round as a quarterback that may eventually pay off for you, or somebody who is going to fill a need two years from now, potentially, but probably not? I I mean, I think it makes all sorts of sense for them to keep their eye on Jalen Hurts, but if he comes here and he throws the ball extremely well, and his athletic numbers are really good, because I've looked at him as someone who is... Very athletic, but not like Lamar Jackson athletic or or Cam Newton athletic or Josh McCown athletic, by the way, who I've mentioned from Mock Draftable, the website that uses the percentiles (laughs) of how players scored in their um, in their workouts. Josh McCown is one of the top of all time, one of the best athletes ever at the combine. So Jalen Hurts is no Josh McCown, but. Um, if he does really well, then I think he's going to get a lot of interest here. And I'll be fascinated. Like, this quarterback class is really fascinating because usually you have one or two guys, and then it's just this massive drop-off, and there's nothing. And and you might have one guy taken in the third, one guy taken in the fourth. This year's draft class seems to have quite a few of those guys, whether it's the Jacob Eason kid from Washington sure. or Jake Fromm from Georgia or Hertz. That there's a lot of in the middle with this draft with quarterbacks that you could actually see being there in the third round, and and maybe you do find someone like a Dak Prescott or a Kirk Cousins, yeah, fourth who, round pick, right, ends up working out pretty well overall. Yeah, I think that there's reason to think for the future there. It's your backup quarterback to begin with. So not that you'd be spending a whole ton on a veteran backup like a Sean Mannion if you were to re-sign him, but right. it at least addresses a need. And if right. we're talking about needs. But you're also potentially thinking, hey, can he get a year or two under him, under Kirk Cousins, and either become a valuable trade asset or potentially be in line to take over? Like, I don't think it's like too far-fetched to think that a higher pick on a quarterback is out of the question for this team at all. Yeah, no, I definitely think I so. I just don't know... If they would, you know, we talked about weeks ago on the show about how aggressive they would have to be in order to go after Tua or have to go after, um, you know, a Justin Herbert or anybody that's probably going to be taken within the top 10. Mm. We're going to know by the end of the week because whatever leaks out and whatever we find out just about the way that they feel about re signing Kirk Cousins will give you the indication of are they going to potentially be that aggressive? I think they need to shake things up personally. I do think that that would help. Mm. Um, I just don't know feasibility wise how realistic that is if you were putting percentages on it i'm not going to make you try to do oh, a God. pie chart i can't no, do a pie I, chart 
We're, we're at the Combine. I'm not going to make you do it. It's too hectic. I've been asleep for, or awake for 69 hours. I can't do a <laughs> pie chart. Right. You've been grinding tape all day. You don't have the mental capacity right now to do it. We need you in studio. I've where been you can draft it, scouting. Where you can mess it up there. Um, <laughs> but if you were to put percentages on it, out of 100, what percentage would you say that Kirk Cousins' a contract extension is done within the next two to three weeks? Some point... Later in the off season, we know they love to announce them before training camp. Like that's their thing. Yes, but I, he also just to interrupt here. If they don't get it done before free agency, I don't think it's going to happen. So okay, if that well, if that will that's part of it for sure. Yeah. So then the other option would be after next year or never. Can we pie chart this? Attempt. So you attempt gave me you gave me four attempts. Four. What percentages would you put on put on them? Which is technically a pie chart. Fine for them to get it done before free agency. I think would be, I'll put it at thirty five percent. Let me just write these down. This I knew you were going to make this hard on yourself because there, he has no incentive. Like to be honest with you, he really has no incentive to sign on their terms. No, I get that, but I'm like, questioning you using thirty five percent. Just because then give it me makes the math hard. Fine, thirty percent. Thirty. Oh, okay. 30 is signed before free agency. I'm typing this out. Sign before <laughs> FA. Great. Um, what's my next one? Sign in March at Sign some point? before training camp when they usually announce them. 20%. Sign before training camp. Then the next one is sign after the 20, like play out 2020. Yeah, play out 2020 and then re-sign after that. I will go ahead and put that at... Thirty percent, and then nothing at all. No contract extension at all. No contract extension at all would be the remaining percentage of that. So it's sixty, twenty percent. I love how you said like you're not doing a pie chart, and and you made me. You you tricked me. You tricked me. I didn't draw it, but you tricked me. Um, Um, The drawing is always the best part to be able to tweet that out. So go through those again. Okay, thirty percent means he'll sign before free agency, which means they're going to be aggressive before the new league year opens on March 18th. Great cap space. They are pushing for that because. They know that they're not going to be able to be active in free agency, or at least as active as they want to be, if they mm-hmm. don't create some more cap space. That means you're saying goodbye to some of those defensive players that we mentioned earlier. Um, that you're going to have to either literally no go, not go after anybody and just hedge everything on the draft, or be very conservative um, and go get guys in the second or third wave. We know that that's not the way. If you're a team that's in win now mode, to plug and play, um, or what we said like filling needs, that's not the way to do it. Signing before training camp, 20%. I give it that because it's like I could also see something getting worked out. And if you want to take Spielman at face value for what he said about, well, we typically do that, you know, extensions and all that before training camp because he didn't want to admit publicly that they're trying to do it so they can create cap space. Right. Um, 30% was he'll sign after 2020. Honestly, I kind of wish I would have gone up a little bit more on this now that I'm looking at it because... You think that's possible? He has a benefit of waiting right now for a number of reasons. Wait to see what Dak gets. Eventually wait to see what Mahomes gets. Um, Why would you do it right now if you're on his side and you haven't seen what the ceiling is? Because maybe he feels like, shoot, I can't get any better than this right now. I might want to sign it before my team goes 7-9 and and I lose my value. Yeah, Um, that's a good point. So there's that. And then 20% not sign him at all. Well, he could also, you know... That could factor into 2020. Does he not do well in 2020? And they're like, all right, Kirk, it's been great. Three years, we're ready to move on. And if they draft somebody that they like to take over for him or at least be your bridge quarterback for a year, because you're probably looking at a brand-new coaching staff anyways at that point. So 
that's where I'm at. I think I did pretty well here. No, with you actually did. This might have been one of your best, if not your best. Maybe it was because it was totally on the fly, totally Eek. off the cuff, and you didn't have to draw it. Um, okay, Courtney, we will catch up again tomorrow. Yes. And we will further break down what Mike Zimmer had to say today. Sage Rosenfels and I are going to dive deep into that, the top headlines from Mike Zimmer's conversations with the media. When we return, it is Purple Daily from the NFL Combine here on Score North. Listen and win with the free Score North mobile app. This month, one lucky winner will win a $200 gift card to Amazon.com just for having and using the app. All you have to do is register the app, listen to your favorite Score North content, and you could be a winner. TCL is a proud sponsor of the Score North Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. It's Purple Daily. Okay, welcome back to Purple Daily from inside the Indiana Convention Center at the NFL Combine, where earlier today, Sage was present, Sage Rosenfels, for Mike Zimmer's media session, both of them at the podium and the private session. You felt like a real journeyman reporter, Sage. You even yeah. ask questions. Good for you. I ask. Usually, I'm not a question asker. I sort of feel like, I don't know, I just feel awkward doing that, because that actually means I'm actually a reporter right um, you have to so, put, put away the football player for a second yeah when you ask the questions that's but, right uh, yeah you know i asked a few questions and and uh, you know i think zimmer does a he gives you a little more information uh than rick spielman did yesterday about various players it really sounds like as an example they want they want everson griffin back they're going to try to you know it seems like at least at least if it's up to zimmer uh try to get him back he really likes him as a player and and i thought he played pretty well last year and and uh you know we went through it seemed like we almost went through the entire starting roster in the in the private session, from the quarterback situation to Anthony Harris at free safety. Yeah, uh, you know, obviously interior defensive lineman, offensive lineman. That was uh, an interesting conversation there. Uh, uh, Courtney Cronin brought up, you know, possibly could, could could Riley Reef maybe even move to guard if you end up drafting, you know, say a tackle or something like that. So you know, there was a lot discussed in that private session. And what's great about meeting with Zimmer here is that he loves going into. Football philosophy too, and, and breaking things down of uh, how they scout and getting a little bit into the process. So we'll get into that as we go along here, and maybe I'll put some of it on a separate podcast where I talk about um, him getting smart players and the value of that that we've seen through the years. But starting with the Everson Griffin thing is is where I wanted to begin with Zimmer's comments because he made it very clear that not only he wants him back, but he thinks it's the right place for Everson Griffin, and he insinuated that he thinks Everson Griffin wants to return. So right now. He's a free agent because he opted out of his contract but they could bring him back and i think in terms of your price tag other teams might look at it and say "Mm, you know this is a guy whose production dropped a little over the last two years from when he was at his absolute best and the vikings might be the ones who give him the best deal as well as be the best place for him and somewhere he's been his entire career and sage i actually think it's right to bring him back even though there was a dip toward the second half of the season which zimmer acknowledged he draws so much attention from being Everson Griffin and having the background that he has and the power that he has that opposing teams are afraid of him. And Zimmer mentioned that he draws a lot of double teams. He draws a lot of tight ends on his side, and it does help Daniil Hunter. So I asked the guys at PFF, is that real? And they found that their numbers, it was. That when Hunter was on the field without Griffin, he did draw more attention. And and so I think this actually works for everyone if that's what they do to bring back Everson Griffin. Well, and he also talked about you know both defensive ends get chipped a lot. You know, usually that's uh, sometimes it's by a tight end. Sometimes that's by a running back you know, chipping before they go out. And what people don't realize is, let's say you're a, a weak side linebacker dropping.
dropping in coverage and that running back is now chipping, well, now you can just sort of drop and get in the way of the X receiver and, and almost double team him at that point because the running back's basically not getting out until late. So it, it helps out the passing game in so many ways to have those two premier pass rushers. You know, there is really no place like home. And, and uh, you know, I, I moved around a lot in my you know career, sometimes for money, sometimes I was traded, whatever it might be. But there's no place like home. And in, you know, maybe for, uh, you, you know, uh, you might play for a million dollars less or, or something like that mm-hmm. just because the familiarity with the defense you think you can play well of course you don't have to move and all those types of things everson has been in minnesota his entire career so you know hopefully this team can figure out a way to get him back you know we talked about opting out of his contract i think a lot of times when when fans look at a player and they go okay he opted out of his deal well they did he obviously did that because they think he can get more money in for agency well this is one of those different situations where he opted out but also the vikings were probably going to have to cut him because of his Correct. price tag was so much this is not where everson's like well who's going to make 13 million or whatever next year he thinks he can make 15 somewhere else i don't think that's the case Correct. Uh, i think they you know everyone acknowledges he's going to have to take some sort of base, basically a pay cut uh, but hopefully uh, it seems like to me zimmer would really like him back and the deeper that i looked into it statistically we talked about this earlier on the show with Eric Eager from Pro Football Focus, edge rusher is not a place that is easily replaced by a rookie. If you want production right away, if this team views 2020 as a year to continue to try to win, to win the division and so forth, which I believe they do, you are not looking at edge rusher saying, oh, we could just draft a guy in the first round and he'll get 15 sacks. Like That does not happen. It takes years for guys to develop a package of pass rush moves that work in the NFL. The tackles are way bigger. They're stronger. They're longer. And usually year two, three, four, you might see that big jump, but in the first year, it is really tough. So if you want that position to be filled, do you want it with a Fadi Adenabo and then a rookie or something, or a guy who's done it for a really long time? He did talk about Adenabo, by the way, as like I, he's a he's a basically he looks at him as he could be a starter, like he's and a I guy that could him. be a legit yeah. you know pass rusher. So that's sort of nice to know as a fan. You know, if Everson doesn't come back, you know what they're thinking. It doesn't mean they're going to have to go out and draft somebody. It sort of is what you said, and you know I, I always enjoy listening to players when they're at the end of their career when they talk about when they're a rookie and they're like man i didn't know anything i was just out there just trying to make plays and yes and then you know you have that rookie year and you get through it and then you have the off season and you really get to watch you watch every single rep over and over and over and, and you watch other players and you, re- you really realize there's a lot to the craft uh, they can improve on from your hands from your feet from you know how the tackles are setting uh, and as you get older your skills your, your athletic ability might go down just a little bit but just your overall knowledge of the game and how to get to the quarterback uh, increases dramatically and so you know everson has that knowledge now he may not have quite the burst he had you know when he was in year two three and four you know early in his career but he obviously has that knowledge he's he's very very he's very valuable to this vikings defense so on uh, also on the defense asked him about anthony harris and the value of having someone next to harrison smith it was pretty clear to me that he thinks anthony harris isn't going to be here yeah there's there's a little like right i don't want to say doom and gloom but it was sort of like i love anthony harris i hope we can have him back but it's hard to pay the safety position to safeties yes. a lot. I mean, he pretty that's that sort of make you go like, mm, I think Anthony is not going to be back. Yep. I mean, because he's going to get paid by somebody, and he, and, and he should. He had an unbelievable year last year. He's young. He's in the middle of his you know, prime of his career. He should get paid based off of how he played. But it's really hard to play uh, to pay two safeties, which which might make you think that. Either you know will Zendejo be you know back starting again or, or in that mix? Will they draft somebody uh, to try to have him play, or maybe go out getting a free agent that's not as expensive? It's obviously it, it's it was pretty obvious that he 
was sort of saying that we're not going to probably pay two safeties a lot, and, right. and which makes you think that Anthony Harris might be somewhere else next year. Yeah, I, I, I came away thinking 95% chance Anthony Harris is not here with the way that Zimmer talked about it, and just the fact that he said not a lot of teams are paying those guys, two of them, over whatever number of millions. And I, I looked this up on Over the Cap. There were only four teams paying safeties over $20 million to those two players. And if the Vikings were to sign him to a 13 or $14 million deal, you would be talking about $24, 25000000 million dedicated to the safety position, which is only something you would do if you didn't have a quarterback on a huge contract like Kirk Cousins. And he also seemed to indicate that, He's not saying anyone could step into this position, but people can step into this position next to Harrison Smith. He even mentioned about Harrison that he'd love to do even more with him next year than he's ever done before. And it wouldn't surprise me if they got a rookie for this or they got a cheap veteran, somebody who was just smart enough. Um, and, and he kind of indicated that, too. Like, you have to know what's going on there. You have to understand how to work with Harrison Smith. But it's far from impossible when you have a superstar yeah. across from you and it's not worth paying $14 million. So I think whatever we were kind of floating out there, $13, $14 million, that's not what they're going to pay. He's going to go somewhere else. They're going to use that money for Everson Griffin and then to fill other spots. Now, speaking of that, just going kind of bullet point by bullet point here, the offensive line conversation was really interesting with Zimmer because he said, and I totally agree with him, that Kirk can be even better or sustain this level of play if he gets better offensive line play. And when he was asked about Pat Elfline, it was not a glowing review. <laughs> he, I mean, he said he's got to work on his pass sets, and he was disappointing in pass protection. He said he was good in the running game. Good, good in yeah, the running game. Bradbury right. was, too. You know, The interior of the offensive line was good in the running game, but pass protection obviously was a serious issue. Yep, for sure. And he said something about Kirk. Like I, He said, I believe in my heart that he could be even better if he has better offensive line play, which is quite the indictment on how the offensive line played last year. Not good at all in pass protection, but it points toward a very strong tackle draft. And uh, I'll be very interested to see how they measure out and where everyone's draft board goes with the tackles. But Zimmer said both at the podium and with us, tackles is something to look at because it's a deeper draft there and you know that's a valuable position you know it's the whole the old blind side you know type of thing and you know we love talking about hand size for the quarterbacks well for tackles it's a lot of times it's arm length mm-hmm. uh because uh, you get those pass rushers uh you know like everson griffin you have to have those long arms to push them you know around the pocket or you know to be able to take on all their different moves and so you know tackle might be that position I, I, as a preview going into this draft uh probably more than free agency you know tackle i bet is one of the two or three positions that they're really looking at for a first-round draft pick. So we were talking earlier, uh, if you listen to the whole show here today, that Eric Eager was saying that the numbers point to, and I have this on scorenorth.com, it being hard for tackles to step right into the NFL, that safeties can do it, wide receivers can do it, running backs are great at it as rookies, but offensive linemen have never faced the caliber of competition that they'll face on a week-to-week basis you're almost facing some top guy every single week no matter who you're playing and that might be a little risky for them though i mean if they decide to move on from riley reef if they move him into guard which was discussed a little bit and they have high expectations for a tackle right away that's tough but i think that the smart play here would be 
Don't worry too much about filling these spots that are you're desperate to fill with the draft, but look toward a couple of years from now. I was going to say, yeah, look long term in this. And, and if you're you know, going to sign Kirk, you have to have a left tackle. Yeah, for him. and 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 you know this franchise does need like a you know quote unquote franchise left tackle. It'd be great to find like a Joe Staley in the draft where you know after your your his rookie year you go you know we I think we got the guy for the next dozen years. That'd be great to have for whoever's playing quarterback. You know for this offense. You know when I was in Houston in this Gary Kubiak scheme. They drafted Dwayne Brown, and he was a rookie. He played his whole rookie year, and he's become a you know one of the better I think left tackles in the league. Of course, now he's in Seattle now, but he has been a very very consistent left tackle, and and he started as a rookie. I do think this offense, this style of offense with Rick Dennison, I think Rick's a a great teacher. I think it is conducive to having younger players start before other ones. So you know, just like the, this offense is very quarterback friendly, where it doesn't demand you know a lot of audibles and a lot of checks and and all these things by the quarterback. It's the same with the offensive line. They they have a lot of good call it and run it plays where the guys can just come off the ball and I have to think so much. And so this is a style of offense that a left tackle could play right away. Well, and that's another point that is on my list of things to talk about uh, from Mike Zimmer earlier today is that he went into the most detail I've ever heard him go into of why the offense was better for Kirk Cousins. For the most part, we've heard, well, you know, play actions and stuff, and, and we could see it in, in action and in the data from last year. They ran play actions more, they threw down the field more, and it was successful using his long accuracy, which he's very, very good at. But Zimmer pointed even to the complexity of the offense in 2018, talking about how it was just too much of changing all these different things at the line of scrimmage and check to this and check to that. And he was saying that he thinks that the reason that uh, Kirk had a career year and can continue to play at this level is because of Gary Kubiak's offense. Do you agree with that? A thousand percent. Uh, you know, as I bounced around the league and was different offenses, there was times here when you came to a new team, it just sort of felt like you were constantly thinking all the time. And, and listen, all quarterbacks have to be smart. You play this in the National Football League, uh, and you know, there's there's Tom Brady's and the, the Peyton Mains of the world. You know, Peyton was the guy that he could audible to any play. He was constantly telling the line what to do and the running backs what to do, and it was just you know. But that was Peyton Manning. Most quarterbacks don't function, you know, all that well and if you can have something a little bit simpler just to allow the quarterback just to go out there call it call the play run the play there's answers within the play I mean that's really the key I always thought for an offensive coordinator is if you can actually call a play and it has answers for the quarterback. Hey, if they blitz, there's a quick throw. If they don't blitz and play cover two, somewhere in along that progression, one of the guys should be open based off of the design of the play. And of course, obviously, the running aspect of the game. You know what, what this offense does. You know, let's say of a run play. And then one of the safeties is down. Well, a lot of times they'll team have to you know check to a passing play or, or or audible to a running play going in the other direction away from that safety. But what Kubiak does a great job of is, is messing with the splits of the wide receivers. You know he'll bring those wide sure. receivers in really tight, whether it's the X receiver or the Z receiver, and you put them in a spot where even if the safety is down, the receivers can block them again. So the quarterback doesn't have to you know do too much, and the guys can right. just go up and, and and play football, and you can go on quick counts and and try to catch the defense off sides a little bit. And again these sort of call it and run it types of plays they're they're very very conducive to an offense with that has that can just go up there and just go and not have to think so much i mean 
nothing the linemen there's nothing worse than getting in their stance for like 20 seconds mm-hmm. and as a quarterback is sitting back they're going this guy's the mic and we're going to do this and we're going to audible to this and they're going like can we just snap the ball <laughs> right. i've been in this three-point sure. stance for the last 20 seconds and so this offense you'll see it even on a lot of pass plays you know they'll go up there and they'll go on the quick count just, just so the defense doesn't have all that time to get lined up uh and then you know pin the rears back and rush the passer Everything to me that has been said by Rick Spielman and Mike Zimmer points to Kirk Cousins as the quarterback for this team long term. And I am a professional between the lines reader. I don't always get the that it right a hundred percent because you know a lot of times they're trying to sort of talk around things and so forth. But when they talk about continuity, when they talk about wanting to have the same offense, the same weapons to have Koobs here and running his offense and how it works with Kirk. There's nothing in there that sounds like, yeah, you know, well, we're looking at all options or something like that. Like there's, Yeah, there but was- they also was in the conversation of, well, we're currently working on a contract extension. That has not been said by either one of them. Sure. Like there, no one's negotiating with Mike McCartney, uh, who is Kirk Cousins' agent. That, I mean, that they, you know, that, that of course, it was brought up with both uh, the GM and the head coach, but you know they like Kirk. They think Kirk's got you know he's got better game in him and with the right players around him. But there was no talk of like yeah we're currently in contract negotiations to extend him. Yeah, and I wouldn't expect that. Um, with certain players, you might when it's really obvious. So when it was Stefan Diggs or something, but even then. It was more of, well, you know, we're going to keep that internal and we're going to keep that to ourselves. And it was just obvious to everyone from the outside that they would want to extend someone like Diggs, someone like Daniil Hunter, and, and even Anthony Barr. Zimmer was uh, always effusive in his praise when talking about Anthony Barr, so we knew they wanted to keep him. And with Kirk, though, when they talk about long-term and sustainability and and keeping the supporting cast around him and things like that none of it sounds like yeah this is a this is kirk's last shot to prove something to us last year that's how that sounded here at the combine was well he's got to take the next step and he's got to prove this to us and and spielman definitely said that yesterday like it was very encouraging for them of course you got that dallas win which i you know sort of take that with a grain of salt like yeah they won dallas but you know dallas ended up being like an eight and eight football team and you know the game-winning drive was 10 handoffs you know so like how much of that was kirk but obviously the playoff win was huge uh, down in new orleans that was absolutely huge for for this football team huge for kirk uh, and, and for the confidence not just for kirk but for all the players in the organization to have in him so um yeah i, I thought that one of the highlights of of, of, of both press conferences is when you asked uh, Mike Zimmer about Stefan Diggs and, you know, hey, uh, what are your thoughts about any of these maybe rumors of, uh, you know, Stefan Diggs being traded? And basically Zimmer said, I don't even know what you're talking about. I get along with Diggs great. Everything is great and there's no problem. So, of course, you know, we in the media, we like to talk about the possibilities. And, of course, there's always those those occasional tweets that uh, are a little bit confusing and makes you sort of wonder. So uh, he seemed to brush that off and think that there's absolutely no issue with Stefan Diggs. Well, I tried to work my way backwards into that. Like, uh, you know, have you been watching TV at all and seen? Uh, and, and I wanted to make it clear that there was no report that Stefan Diggs was getting traded. And it's been clear from the Vikings side that 
they want him to stay here. I mean, they just extended him two years ago, yeah, I think. Yeah, two years so. ago. Uh, well, before 2018 season. So, yeah, two years ago is when they gave him a contract extension. So he's under contract. He can't get out of that. We've said that a number of times on the show, and it's worth repeating that this probably isn't going to go anywhere. But since it made the national rumors and headlines and trade things, you know, trade scenarios. And so I joked, like, have you seen all of our fake trades for Stephon Diggs? And, uh, you know, his response was yes at first he sort of laughed at me but then he said well you know after that thing in week four there hasn't been any problems at all which i thought was he did a- acknowledge the thing that never yes. happened supposedly yes. Yes. yes so no Diggs was sick remember uh, uh, um one of the great moments of last year is Diggs faking a cough and then looking at us like did you, do you guys believe what i'm doing and no not really i always like the wink the uh, wink is, the, yes. is my favorite oh so when that was the funny thing so Diggs does stuff like that all the time in press conferences you know he'll wink at you or give you a little like yeah we both know what's going on here and he did that after a game when the espn cameras were there and of course espn went bananas with oh he's you know he's winking to say that he's still does want out and it's like oh my gosh uh this thing is out of control but that answer from him was important to me to have it down that there were no other issues with Diggs, which is kind of why i asked it in a bit of a joking manner instead of trying to grill him on it because i thought there really isn't anything to grill him on here there's no like news story that says this is happening and, and so the fact that he said there were no other issues past that I think is important in terms of Stefan Diggs will be here more likely than not. I would say if some team called up and went crazy and wanted to give you the fourth or fifth overall pick or something, then you might do it. But I think we can pretty much after this the combine put the Stefan Diggs thing to rest. You know, as as we sit here and the, and the players have not worked out yet, you know, they're doing the measurements and of course all the meetings and interviews that they have with the coaching staff, uh, coaching staffs around the league. What would you say are uh, you know based off of somewhat Zimmer said today, somewhat Spielman said yesterday? I think Zimmer said a lot more today than Spielman said yesterday. But it seems like to me there are certain areas that are pretty becoming more and more obvious that the Vikings may draft with these first couple picks yeah Uh, offensive line you know possibly that left tackle position you know cornerback is going to be really really interesting you know uh, Courtney Cronin brought up the fact that there might be two new cornerbacks uh you know obviously this year um but you know where where do you think give me the top three positions that you think uh based off the last couple days of these interviews that you see the Vikings going with these first these first couple days of picks so don't let me forget I'm going to answer your question but don't let me forget before we wrap up this segment to um, talk about the quarterback situation because I did ask Mike Zimmer about that. I would say top three right now, and this is one reason we come here to the Indiana Convention Center in Indianapolis for the combine, even though no one's done anything yet uh, except for their interviews and such, is to get a sense of where things stand. And I think that safety right now is a very high priority for them. If they can't fill it in free agency, then draft a guy who you think could be the next Harrison Smith. Harrison Smith is getting a little older. If you could bring in a guy who is very valuable like that to play alongside him while Harrison's still in his prime, and then if Harrison falls off, the other guy becomes a great player because he's a first-round pick, I, I put safety very high on my list. I would also say... I was going to say real quick, but in safety is one of those positions where you can get a great safety late in the first round. Yes. It's not yes. left like tackle, Smith. quarterback, one of those sort of high-valued positions. They totally might be able agree. to get a guy late in the first round that could be a starter right off the bat. He talked about that. Like He talked about definitely there's areas where guys can start right away right off the bat, and I think free safety was one of those positions with some coaching. Those guys can make that transition easier than some of those other positions like offensive line. Now, what's interesting is 
what Zimmer talked about with the three technique position, I would have had that maybe number two on my board of Vikings needs and wants. I move that down now after the way he talked about he it. He seemed to be a little, uh, is it cold or soft or light or whatever? Yeah, yeah, sort of like, yeah, I don't, you know, that we, we talked about, you know, do you want more pass rush? I, I asked him a question about pass rushers from the inside guys. Courtney also asked that almost the same question. Are you looking for a little more pass rush in the inside? And, and, uh, he, you know, he's like, yeah, we're always looking for a, a guy, a right. three technique that can, you know, be the guard in the middle. And you're always looking for that. Right. Uh, but but yeah. when she said, don't, but don't you want more pressure there? Kind of as, I don't know who. Or more push on the inside. Yeah, yeah. he was kind of like, no, nah, no, it was okay. Yeah, it was all right last year. That wasn't that didn't seem like an issue for them. And then he said something about how you could kind of manipulate it, which I think is true. Like on third downs, bringing in a defensive end and putting them over the guard, and he referenced what they did in New Orleans. So I have to move that down and put tackle there. I I, I think that. The way he talked about the offensive line was really strong. Of This has to be better in he terms of the pass protection. They need some improvement along that offensive line to make Kirk better versus a, maybe a defensive lineman. So you know we'll see how that goes. One of the aspects we haven't talked about is, uh, Dom, is Dom Capers. That was brought up. In this, uh, in these interviews as well as, you know, what's his influence? You know, are you going to change a little bit more to a three, four? Mm -hmm. My guess is no, but he was, I think he's going to more add some different blitzes that maybe, you know, Zimmer doesn't even, either know as well or sort of not his specialty. It sounds like Dom's, that he looks at Dom Zimmer as a guy with a lot of really, really good ideas to maybe give some, give him some different looks. You know, they, of course, they do a lot of, a lot of, you know, one linebacker blitzes, of course, the double A gaps, which, you know, they've been doing for a long, long time. I think he's looking for a little bit more variety, which, you know, a lot of times teams play four, three on first and second down. Then you get into a third and five, third and six longer, and teams probably aren't going to run the football. Then you get in those re really weird three down looks with an extra linebacker, a couple extra safeties in there, guys that can sort of blitz from different areas. You can mm -hmm. overload a side a little bit tough. Uh, it's, it's very tough for a quarterback to, to prepare for teams in those three down looks on third down. Right, and uh, the Vikings have been particularly excellent when it comes to um, those, those third downs. They're one of the best, if not the best team in the NFL since Zimmer came to Minnesota on third downs. And uh, I, I did think it was interesting because deciding on what my third would be. So safety, tackle, maybe corner, but he was sort of not buying what we were selling when we, we were asking him about, hey, you've got a lot of corners to replace. And he kind of was like, well, I don't know. And, and, and that Courtney has talked about thinking that Trey Wayans might come back. I think if he gets a bigger offer somewhere else that he'll go there, as any of us probably would. But it didn't sound like he was talking as if Trey was gone. He talked very differently about Anthony Harris than he did about Trey Wayans. Yeah. Where with Trey, it was like, well, you guys are talking about having to replace guys, and I'm not sure about that. And with Harris, it was like, oh, yeah, we can replace that. <laughs> so uh, I think corner is probably number three on my list. Yeah, uh, that makes absolute sense. And, and uh, you know, in this style of defense in particular, with, uh, you, you know, a lot of man-to-man -man coverage, you know, cornerback is extremely important. Yeah. But, you know, the, you know what it makes a good corner? a good defensive end you yeah, know a good defensive true. end makes corners a lot better so they don't have to chase for you know four or five seconds and so uh yeah i, I think there's about there's like three positions offensive line uh you know cornerback i seem to be all set with their linebackers i was going to bring up a question about eric wilson like you see eric wilson is really a three down linebacker but he's really only playing basically on first and maybe a little bit of second down just based off the fact that you know teams go so much nickel you know anymore but yeah i, I definitely say corner uh i can really see them with either first second or third round pick at corner this year okay allow me to be slightly reckless here reckless speculation just a little bit 
when I asked Zimmer about the backup quarterback, whether he would trust a rookie to be a backup quarterback. And I said, well, do you want a, a, a say a journeyman? You wouldn't know much about this, but you know somebody who can help the starter. And he said, well, number one, I want the guy to win. I don't need a coach behind him. We've already got a quarterback coach. I need to trust that the guy could come in in three games uh, if he had to fill in and win those three games. Well, well, which, by the way, I was like, you know, if your backup quarterback is winning three games, uh, he should be the starter. You know, that's, so we, that's right. We have our rule: the backup quarterback is supposed to go five hundred. Exactly. We should be happy with that. I didn't he, want to correct him. Yeah, he said like, yeah, if you have three games and the, your starter's out and the yeah, yeah, you want that backup to win all three games. I'm like, well, if the backup's winning three games, <laughs> that's right. He should be starter. the starter. So right. you want Matt Moore to win one out of two yeah. that's what you want uh, and uh, keep, keep you in the hunt you know exactly. the, the sort exactly. of the backup quarterback scenario where it's the kurt warner where they somehow come in and you end up being a you know end up going to the super bowl or whatever like those just they, they just don't happen what you really want is you know the quarterback's gonna be out for a month because he's got an ac sprain or something right. like that yeah. and you want your backup to go two two and two maybe three and one uh but uh you know anything uh over 500 is is absolute gravy so um here's my reckless part is he did not say, well, yeah, I mean, you want somebody to develop there. If he had said that, I might have thought, oh, okay, well, that might be in the cards here is draft someone to develop them if Kirk doesn't sign an extension. This is the reckless part. I'm not saying that this for sure means that. But when the answer was you want a backup who can come in and win you games if your starter goes down, that's not saying we want someone for 2021. You know, and and so... I thought it was an interesting answer that he did not talk at all about developing. So, and, and Spillman for years has drafted a quarterback in the draft. Usually, it's late. Or get an undrafted guy right after and make him the developmental. Yeah. Guy. So yeah, sure. you know that 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 is. It looks like to me they're not going to draft a quarterback high in this draft. Maybe somebody low, but you know Sean Mannion obviously you know he's the backup and and he did a nice job last year and and you know whatever sort of coaching he did mm-hmm. of Kirk Cousins he did a nice job and he, I thought he played pretty well in the preseason. All right, let's take a break. We are live from the NFL Combine. Matthew Collar, journeyman correspondent Sage Rosenfels, is having a great time here at the Combine. Even Mike Zimmer called you over to ask how you're doing and everything else. I mean, just, you know, I'm walking around with a celebrity around here. Brady Quinn is coming up to you and everything. So, uh, all right, let's, let's take a break. And when we come back, um, let's take a look at some other things that have happened here and what we're most interested in. You asked Mike Zimmer, um, some questions about guys coming into the league with less or more experience and also he talked about what they look for in terms of uh with the workouts and and things like that so let's discuss a little bit more of the philosophy here as well as we go forward and some other headlines when we return you're listening to purple daily on score north Join Mackie, Judd, and Rami each Wednesday at 5 p.m. for Write That Down. The guys not only make sports predictions, but hold each other accountable for them each and every week for your chance to be a guest picker on Write That Down. Enter through listening rewards on your Score North mobile app. Jonathan here with the Score North download. More new deep dives are available on Minnesota Sports Rewind, including two new episodes on the Johan Santana trade and the craziest season in Vikings history. Minnesota Sports Rewind available on the Score North mobile app, Apple and Spotify. Mike Zimmer taking to the podium today at the NFL Combine, talking about where things stand with Everson Griffin, who opted out of his deal after reaching a sack total of six, I believe, last season. Here's what Mike Zimmer said about contract negotiations with Everson Griffin. We met with his agent yes, yesterday, I think it was. So, um, you know, Everson's a, Everson's a terrific person for us. Um, I think our, our situation is the right one for him. And, 
we expect him to be back. I think he wants to be back, and so, you know, those kind of things usually work, work its way out. That's been your Score North download. Now back to the final segment of the day of Purple Daily. All right, welcome back to the NFL Combine. Matthew Collar and Sage Rosenfels, Purple Daily here. We'll be uh, doing the show again tomorrow. So uh, if you missed any of our segment breaking down everything that Mike Zimmer said, then go back and listen to it wherever you get your podcasts. Also, check YouTube. We put a lot of our segments up there as well. So, Sage, uh, you and Mike Zimmer had a, a fun back and forth about players who come into the NFL Combine and go into those meetings without a whole lot of complexity in their offenses and defenses, but they also might have the talent uh, to be good NFL players and how difficult that is for NFL teams to weigh. And I thought it was a very like extremely football-y conversation, but I, I think it's really pertinent for the Vikings this year if they're looking for players who can step right in. That It's not that you would totally avoid someone who didn't have a complex... Uh, defense or offense, but you would have to be really convinced that they would be able to pick it up. Well, the conversation started as we walked from basically the podium over to sort of this private area where we sort of held this sort of second, more local, I guess, uh, uh, press conference with Zimmer, and and we were discussing that you know I was working with some of these you know quarterbacks and you know a guy like Anthony Gordon, you know, played Mike Leach's air raid offense. They had ten passing plays and two running plays, and it was you know sort of <laughs> very amazing. I guess very simple, and yeah. and, and Anthony was not uh, up to speed on you know defensive fronts, and you know they basically have like one maybe two protections, and you know very very simple and and. Uh, uh, and you know, I asked uh, you know Zimmer, you know, how much you take that into consideration, you know. And if you go back, and of course, you know, you know, you know Gopher fans know the University of Iowa just puts out offensive linemen. You know, it seems like every single year there's one or two or three guys going to the pros. And you know, basically, as Kirk Ferentz, the head coach at the University of Iowa, he was for a long time a, a pro offensive line coach. And so these guys are really getting pro coaching. And I always thought, you know, if I'm a an NFL franchise, you draft a guy like that. It's really nice to know that. You know, as a rookie, they can come in and play right away. Where you play in some of these other offenses that are the spread, and these guys have different splits, and they have very little running game, and they're throwing the ball fifty-five times a game. You know, that might take them you know, almost a full year to sort of make that transition and get right. like real NFL coaching. You know, by a guy like Rick Dennison to you know to possibly start right away. So you know, there's less if a guy has a four-year contract and he's probably not going to play. Uh, you know, his rookie year. You know, that's a that's a, you lose value there. Right. And sort of yep. take that into consideration. And and his answer was interesting. He sort of talked about like, well, we're not going to sort of devalue somebody because they had crappy college coaching, uh, but also like you know there is an aspect of probably of comfortability of when, you, when you're talking to a guy in these interviews when they, you feel like you know they can step in right away. That does probably give them a little bit more value. But you know, of course, it's up to these NFL coaches. Is to you know actually teach them everything, but it, I, I gotta think uh, there's a little bit that goes into the whole you know aspect of the, this guy can play right away, week one, coming to right in that rookie mini camp, and we don't have to worry about it. That has to make a, a head coach a little bit happier. And I followed up on your question by asking how they know when guys are smart enough to pick up on the defense, uh, because if someone's smart enough, they'll be able to make that transition, even if they didn't have a complex defense or offense in uh, college football. But figuring out whether someone is smart, he said it's very difficult on tape to try to decide. So one of those funny little, you know, everybody thinks they know what they see uh, watching television, football or whatever. Even Mike Zimmer is saying you probably don't know how intelligent the guy is. So then you have to get him in a meeting and you really even don't know how he's going to pick it up until you actually get him there, which is the, the trick is how much 
are you going to try and convince yourself that you know when you might not know? So you draft for a guy has the the traits that fit and might come across as if he's going to be smart enough to pick it up, but you never really can quite put your finger on it just by interviewing somebody for you know, a handful of minutes and then decide, oh, he must know. But Zimmer did say that with the current players, he will send them things like on their iPads and then they'll FaceTime and do a little, almost like a little teacher quiz to them to figure out how they're picking it up. And he dropped the little nugget that he loved the way that Chris Boyd and Holton Hill were picking up things when it came to asking them what their assignments were on certain plays and and stuff like that. So it makes you think that they do feel pretty secure with those two guys developing and getting better. Um, but also says that this thing is really hard to figure out who's going to translate when even from meetings and watching all that tape and everything else, you still don't know if someone's smart enough or is the football savvy to be able to pick it up right away. Well, that's why they have the Wonderlick test. I mean, <laughs> yes. if a guy does one, well yes. the Wonderlick test, obviously he's going to Which you really got a 50 out football. of 50 on. Yeah, of course. <laughs> um, you know, one, one aspect of, of this conversation, you know, talking about, you know, the smarts of some of these guys that they're going to look, look for in this draft. You brought up Richard Sherman. You know, Richard Sherman is a four five five forty guy and it's like, yeah, you'd love to have all your corners run four three, you know, like Trey Wayne said at the combine, but you know, probably almost more important than that uh, is guys that are smart and and you know, football smart and and you know, the sort of the smarter you are as a player, you pick up information, then you can sort of uh, you know read maybe a little bit what the offense is doing, then you can anticipate. I think it, I thought it was a word that he was like looking for is that yeah. uh, you can be sort of one step ahead of the game uh, is anticipate based off of formation, based off of motion. You know, maybe the split of the wide receiver or a guy like Richard Sherman, who has been, you know, one of the better quarterbacks in the uh, cornerbacks in the league for, is it 10 years now? Probably something yeah. like that. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, w- wasn't super fast, but he can make up for that speed uh, by really understanding the game. And, and so, yeah, yeah, I take that into consideration as well. But, you know, that's one of the hardest things for these guys to, the, these coaches to see in these players. I mean, they can, they, they can interview them, but, you know, until you're actually out there and go through, you know, days, and days and days of OTAs and training camp, right. you really understand if these guys can, you know, learn maybe from mistakes or you know learn from the veterans to to, to be really really knowledgeable offensive and defensive players. Yeah, and and the Vikings, I think, under Zimmer, have done a terrific job of deciding who to keep based on their smarts and what their ceilings can be and things like that. That um, someone like Anthony Harris is a great success story for Zimmer because it shows you that they valued his intelligence over everything else. And Harris is one of the smartest players I've ever been around. And it didn't shock me that he was able to do what he did. Of course, he's got physical ability and he can catch the ball when it comes to him, which not all safeties and corners can. But being able to play across from Harrison Smith is no easy task. And that is what they will have to weigh if Harris is indeed gone because of the money, which I would not be surprised after talking with Zimmer they're going to have to weigh should we get a veteran to fill this spot there isn't anyone on the roster to be able to do it J. Ron Curse was good for them but then really fell hard out of favor with Mike Zimmer and barely played down the stretch he's a free agent too and you know there's no one behind him except for Anderson Day who's much more of a fill-in player now at this point if he even comes back so it kind of circles back to yeah they could draft somebody at that position but you never quite do know until they get there uh, how that's going to work out. Um, do you want to look at a mock draft? Let's do some mock draft stuff. Um, you know, what's really interesting about, again, you know, this combine is, you know, the, I know the quarterbacks, they showed up here on Sunday. 
they don't even work out till till Thursday night. Yeah, is that right? crazy? I mean, that's that's all the interviews that these guys are doing, and, and they changed the schedule this year. There's they're doing interviews over at the uh, Lucas Oil Stadium and like the suites, uh, and the, everything is really really uh, designated for certain times and and, and and things like that. But you know that's why those interviews are so important. It's you know some of it just to get to know them, get to know their background, maybe how they grew up and their sort of their family situation. Uh, but a lot of a lot of it is to try to test them uh, and you know go up on the board and. and see how much they actually know so then you know what you're working with if and when you do draft them so bucky brooks just put out a new mock even though nothing has really changed yet and and then we'll see the post combine mocks i'm not saying they'll be more accurate because mock drafts aren't usually that super accurate but um they'll have a better sense for where everyone stands at this moment here's how bucky brooks has it playing out the top of the draft the same way everyone else does joe burrow the number one quarterback Chase Young going second to Washington, which, can we talk about Washington for a second? If they draft Chase Young, I, I like him, and he's massive, and he could sack quarterbacks, but I think you're making a mistake by staying at two. Now, he doesn't include trades in this, but I think you're making a mistake by staying at two because the interest behind that, potentially from the Lions to replace Stafford eventually, or from the Dolphins or the Chargers and so forth, they're going to want to trade up and make sure that they get to a, especially as there was more good news about his medicals today. Yeah, almost everybody has the Dolphins trying to get up there in those first couple picks, and you know the Lions are an interesting team. They're one of those. And there's a, there's a couple teams out there that you know they've got this veteran. You know he's good, not great, but they got this veteran uh, who can still play. You know, but do they go after quarterback and start looking to the future as well? I mean, even Green Bay. You know, are, are they are they at some point going to start looking forward? Obviously, the Pittsburgh Steelers. They're one of those teams that, you know, Roethlisberger may be in his last year, you know, obviously coming to the end of the, the run, just sort of like an Eli Manning, just like Phillip Rivers on their yep. football teams. Yep. Is this going to be the end of the road for you know Ben Roethlisberger? So I think I went through the whole NFL uh, 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 the other night, and I think I saw nine. I think it was nine teams that I really do believe are really looking for either quarterback right now or quarterback that maybe you know next year is going to be their starter, which maybe leads you to believe. I think the Vegas odds are four and a half quarterbacks that are that are going to go in the first round, yes. somewhere between four and five. You got Burrow, Tua. Kid, people are really loving uh, the Jordan Love kid out of Utah State, and I've, I talked to a couple quarterbacks coaches last night. Sounds like he did really, really well in his interviews. Oh, really, he's a okay. very authentic kid. Sure, uh, he's smart and and he's you know very real and a guy like they, you know they're looking forward to work with. Uh, obviously, there's the Justin Herbert from Oregon, um, who's you know physically has all the skills. And same with the Easton Jacob Easton, Jacob Easton uh, from uh, Washington. You know those two guys physically, they walk in the room, you're like holy cow, six foot six, two hundred thirty five pounds with you know a, a big arm. Uh, but you know, are they real quarterbacks? Right? Are, are they going to be really good? pro quarterback just because physically you check some boxes doesn't mean you have all the other aspects that it takes to be a great pro quarterback but there are about nine needy you know, teams out there whether for quarterback this year right now or obviously for next year and, and, and going on down the future so that brings me to the most interesting part of this particular mock draft if I could scroll down on my computer. And Speaking of quarterbacks, it. by the way, I saw Mike Mayock's uh, press conference a little bit yesterday, and he was just throwing praise on Derek Carr, which pretty much leads me to believe that Derek Carr is not going to be an Oakland Raider <laughs> next year. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, the overpraise bit. You always wonder about that. You know, I'll sometimes stumble across a YouTube video or something, and it'll be 
10 ways to know people are lying to you and one of them is rambling and talking too much and over explaining like if you have to go over praise on he is the best and we just love him and we would never move on from him, your immediate reaction is oh so you want to move on yeah, from they're him. trying to they're trying <laughs> to increase his value for somebody else right. so they can get yes. uh, more more in return people like him going to chicago you know one of those situations where uh you know hey maybe we can upgrade you know sort of like you know marcus mariota in tennessee yeah they decided to go you know maybe mario is a future i don't know but you know Tannehill's got some experience let's go get him obviously worked out really real well for tennessee people see chicago as a, as a possible landing spot for a Derek carr especially since mitchell trubisky is still on that rookie deal mm-hmm. he's not a 25 million dollar a year guy and maybe they can get carr and and uh, you know it's always interesting gms have you have a whole salary cap which i don't know is the number somewhere around 200 million dollars yep. this year but they sort of have you know position groups that have sort of like a a portion of it sort of you know uh, uh marked off or like okay this right. is how much we're going to spend on quarterback so if your rookie's really cheap you can spend more on your 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 backup or your other veteran to come and compete uh you know same with safety same with corner offensive line they sort of have and, and they, they can go out of those lines of course but they sort of have a certain amount of money they want to earmark to certain position groups mm-hmm. and in chicago when you have that young quarterback you can go out and spend a lot more on a veteran to try to come in and compete with mitchell trubisky which obviously the bears desperately need to have right and that would be maybe the stumbling block for getting Derek carr is that he has a decent sized contract 25 million i think it was yeah. a five for five yeah. for 125 was it's, his deal right it's not nuts but it's not nothing um and so they really did try that with trubisky and they built a excellent team he's just not that good and neither is his coach and so it doesn't always work um again another guy n- goes bust n- n- another uh, co- couple conversations i had with some quarterbacks coaches last night where you know we're, we're talking about trubisky and that bears offense i was like you know could you design an offense that's worse for mitchell trubisky i mean he's a guy that should be run a lot of bootlegs uh in some play action too but you know he does pretty well when he's on the edge get him out of that pocket he's just not a great pocket passer but for whatever reason matt Nagy sort of has his offense and that's what he's going to do I did talk to a, a, a Bears coach last night, and they did say their plan is sources. Sources. They, their plan is to run a little bit more bootleg play action oh. stuff because they, they they when they get went back to the numbers, um, it was amazing how statistically when they actually would run play action or they'd run bootlegs, the success they would have, but they would do it like two times a game. So it looks like they're going to do a little bit more of that in Chicago to match up with Trubisky's uh, skill set. I can confirm this in a second before, and then we'll move on to the other thing that I had out of this uh, mock draft from Bucky Brooks, which is which is all sorts of fun. Like I, I like anybody who's going to do things on their mock draft since they don't matter that are kind of fun, right? And he does. Just give me a second here. Um, Trubisky was 19th in terms of uh, – wait, no, hold on. I'll find this. This is exactly how I wanted the show to go. <laughs> He is, I'm sorry, 29th in terms of play-action percentage. So your instincts on that, right on, that he did not run a lot of play-action. And for somebody like him, he needs all the help he can get. I mean, he's an athletic quarterback, all right, who's not a pocket passer, but yet they have him in shotgun time and time and time 80% again. 80% of the time running uh, not play-action, Yeah, and then, not good for And him. they drafted David Montgomery, a third-round pick out of Iowa State, and he's sort of a grinded-out type of runner. He's not a uh, you know a Mostert or one of these guys who's super fast, and, and they ran the exact opposite offense for him as well. He's not a scat-back, you know, uh, Tariq Cohen type of guy. And the funny thing is when they would play both those running backs, a lot of teams would just go nickel and just basically say, you know, 
Tariq Cohen is a wide receiver. So, uh, yeah, I think you're going to see a little bit more Bears, a little bit more traditional, you know, probably Trubisky a little bit under center, but they definitely need to get him out of the pocket uh, because uh, of all the 32 starting quarterbacks in the league as far as, like, your classic Tom Brady, Peyton Manning pocket passer guys, Trubisky is probably in your bottom two or three. Oh, for sure. Uh, now, on this mock from Bucky Brooks, Grant Delpit, the safety from LSU, is going to the Vikings, which is, we talked about safety, why it makes sense. So I like that he's got that there. Now, his hot take, though. Oh, wait, I love getting defensive backs from LSU. There oh, is a, for sure. They have become like DBU, and, uh, and whether it's corners or safeties, uh, you know, I, four out of five of those guys drafted seems like end up being really, really good NFL players. But he's got Green Bay taking Jacob Eason, the quarterback, with the 30th overall pick. Green Bay drafting a successor for Aaron Rodgers would be, I mean, sort of like sweet irony in a way, right? Yeah. Since that's what Aaron Rodgers was, was. But I can't see it. I, I think that Green I don't Bay think they're there looking, yet. I can see yeah. them drafting like a fourth round guy, or you know, I'm not sure. I don't know Green Bay's backup quarterback situation, you know, all that well. But you know, I can see them sort of taking a flyer on a mid round guy, going, you know, if he ends up being a great player. Maybe he does end up, you know, replacing Aaron Rodgers, but I just don't think Aaron's there quite yet. Uh, I think he's got a couple more years left of really high quality football, and they need to improve that roster in some other spots. Obviously, defensively, they got to figure out how to stop stop the run. Uh, San Francisco tore them up in the NFC Championship game, so um, you know, I'm not sure about that pick. Uh, but uh, I tell you what, that Easton kid, he is an impressive uh, specimen. He is like six foot six. He's got a heck of an arm. He throws a great deep ball, uh, but I'm not sure if he is uh you know ready to be a first round draft pick in particular for that franchise the the green bay packers so let me ask you this do you think that the packers or the bears or the lions i guess i'll throw them in there are the biggest threat to the vikings for the nfc north these are green bay packers i uh, i think that uh you know they have that same coaching staff back they obviously had a lot of success last year made it to that championship game um you know the two of their ugliest losses of the entire season were both to San Francisco, who seems to be on a little bit of another level uh, in the NFC, in particular in, in that playoff run. But I think they're, you know, I think they're the team, uh, you know, to beat. I think they're going to probably add some pieces to that offensive line. You know, they went from an offense uh, under Mike McCarthy that was a lot of drop back pass, mm-hmm. a lot of Aaron Rodgers from the pocket, and then they went to that zone play action scheme, very similar to what the Vikings do uh, with Kirk Cousins. And so, you know, but within that, the offensive of linemen are pretty good pass protectors in Green Bay, not great run blockers. And, and even with that, the the offensive line had you know good success, uh, you know running the football. But I can see them adding more offensive linemen and uh, that are a little bit better fit for this style of offense because that's what happens when you're a head coach and you come in one. You don't get a choice of what all the coaches you get to hire because you basically get you get the coaches that are fired for the most part. Sometimes you can get a guy out of contract or <laughs> yeah, something. Yeah, I never thought of it that way, but that's true. Yeah, you leave a staff like, oh, I'd like to take this guy with me, this guy with me. Well, if they're good, the franchises aren't going to let them go and – they're going to be our long-term deals. But another thing is when you show up at a team, uh, you can't change over the roster, the entire roster right. right off the bat. Like, hey, we want to win right away. We got Aaron Rodgers. We don't want to start over. So you have to keep a lot of those guys that may not completely fit your scheme, but you do the, the best of what you can. And then as you go into year two, then you start replacing those guys sort of piece by piece to try to find, say, like offensive linemen that, that really fit your scheme better. And Brian Bulaga is a free agent. And he's been great for them for a long time. It's more a as a pass draft. protector, yeah. though, than a, than a you know outside zone run guy. And, and they need, but they need 
weapons. I mean, they, they don't really have any wide receivers outside of Devontae Adams. Yeah, he got yeah. hurt, and it was, Lazard, it was rough. Alan Lazard's my guy from Iowa State. But he is. I, I think Alan ran you know mid four fives or so at the Combine uh, a, a couple years ago. He was an undrafted free agent in Jacksonville, ends up getting cut. I think he was in the practice squad, got cut, signs in Green Bay, and they cut him at the end of training camp. And then next thing you know, by the end of the season, he is their number two guy, (laughs) sort of by a long shot. I mean, he got a lot of catches. He's not very explosive. He's a big body. He's a big six-foot-four, six-foot-five kid, but he's not an explosive wide receiver. They need some more speed at that position. As you saw, you know, say the uh, uh, San Francisco 49ers, -hmm. they have some serious uh, weapons and serious speed at the wide receiver and running back positions. I would also say that the Lions, a little bit here, they have a bit of a 49er vibe, but they don't have a head coach who has a Kyle Shanahan vibe. But they do have a 49er vibe because their quarterback got hurt and they were terrible. But now they're going to draft super high, and they've been projected to get Jeff Okuda, who's the great cornerback prospect, or Isaiah Simmons, who is a freak and does a lot of things great. He might be a linebacker or he might be a safety. We're not really sure, but he's a weapon for them to use. And so last year they were in a lot of tight games with Matt Stafford playing really well. Uh, under Daryl Bevel, right? And then he gets hurt. They fall off the face of the earth. They're awful. They lose a bunch of games. But they just have that feeling of That's, this is San they Francisco, could be kind of dangerous. This is right. San Francisco 2.0. Exactly. Where yeah. two years ago, uh, their quarterback got hurt early in the season, and, and they sort of fell apart and and uh, and, and you know, obviously had a really high pick uh, and uh, and got Bosa last year, and that was huge. It's almost like a blessing to have sort of a bad year, and you come back with a whole. You know, it's not only the, it's not only the first pick either, the first rounder. It's that the fact that the second rounder, uh, if it's in like the top five picks, the second round is basically a first round draft pick. It's probably a lot right. of guys you had as a first rounder that just sort of slid down to the second round, probably based off of need of those teams in the first round. So uh, I can see them very much going defense. You know, Matt Patricia, a defensive guy, probably wants to win with defense first and then sort of offense. Second. So I can definitely see them drafting a corner uh, across from Darius Slay uh, in that first round. All right, Sage, another fun day at the Combine with all sorts of things going on today. Uh, tomorrow, yours and mine will be the last day, so we'll have some fun. And I'm going to bring back what we did the other day on the podcast version um, where we went through a couple of guys' NFL.com profiles, and you had to guess which one. Oh, yes. Yeah, I'm going to write us up one for tomorrow. Um, so we'll do that again. We'll have some fun. We'll see what other news comes out. And then finally on Thursday night, prime time, people will get to see uh, those guys start getting on the field. So a lot going on here at the Combine, and we'll continue to break it down. By the way, speaking of that, uh, I ran a Rich Eisen this afternoon, and he is still going to wear a suit when he runs that 40. Yeah, he actually, always does. Yep. But it's a specifically tailored suit made <laughs> out of, no, it's seriously made out of like material that's like stretchy. So it's really? basically it's like okay, a workout that. suit that looks like a suit. So I feel like he's cheating just a little bit. Yeah, that's right. That's controversy, uh, man. Uh, and he has his cleats for the cause. He has his St. Jude's cleats for the cause. So uh, looking forward to him running sort of a nice little wrap of, of, of the NFL Combine. <laughs> yeah, it's always a great event. Uh, but, yeah, that, that's a great controversy. It's a good scoop by you. That's why we come here, to get those scoops. So, uh, all right, we'll, uh, we'll turn it over to Mackie and Judd with Rami, and uh, they'll be on top of it if any other news breaks during their show from the NFL Combine. Make sure you go to scorenorth.com, check out all of the uh, reporting that I am doing, and I have to go run and write some articles. So uh, we'll be back tomorrow here from the Combine on Purple Daily. 
This holiday, whether you're making a Baker's Simple Truth Turkey for 40 or a Murray's Baked Brie for two, Baker's has fast, fresh delivery and free pickup, so you can make holiday meals that bring you all together to create memories that last. Baker's, fresh for everyone. Free pickup on orders of $35 or more. Restrictions may apply. Get more ways to save at the Buy 5 or More Save $1 each sale. Just buy five or more participating items and save a dollar each with card. Baker's, fresh for everyone.